We are very privileged to have with us today the Reverend Canon Lieutenant Colonel uh, Zachary Nash. Zach is a 17-year active duty Air Force Lieutenant Colonel. He is also an ordained priest in the Anglican Church of North America, and he is the senior chaplain of Joint Base Charleston. And if you, like me, grew up here and you're still not quite sure what Joint Base Charleston is, um, Zach just did a great job of explaining that to me at the table, that it is the, uh, the forced marriage of Charleston Air Force Base and the Naval Weapons Station and the Nuclear School. And he said, imagine putting the grandchildren of two families brought together by divorce and putting them in the back seat of a 1969 Volkswagen Beetle and driving across country. And uh, that may be a little bit what it's like. So uh, it is uh, a place that is full of ministry opportunities, shall we say. Uh, Zach has had a very distinguished career and is head of the, I always get this wrong, so I want to read it correctly, the canon for formational outreach for the jurisdiction of the armed forces and chaplaincy of the Anglican Church of North America, which is a mouthful, but that is a <laughs> place where he can have great influence on other chaplains. He is also uh, the host of the Classical Anglican Podcast. Uh, he's a Sewanee grad. He is attached ministry-wise to uh, Old St. Andrews uh, with Marshall Huey. So uh, he and his wife have two daughters, and once he finishes his tour of duty, they are hoping to make Charleston their permanent home. Please join me in welcoming Zach Nash. So I want to, are we up? Good. I hear it. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian, for that warm welcome and the opportunity to be able to spend some time with you all this morning. It is a great joy uh, to be able to be here. And I bring greetings from Colonel Michael Freeman, our commander at Joint Base Charleston. He is uh, over, all, over the Volkswagen trip, if, if you will. And uh, I have the privilege of being able to pray with him every other week. And uh, in that time, we pray for the base, for his family, for the mission, as well as uh, our community partners. And, uh, and so much of that with the greater Charleston area being a part of what we do there at the Air Base Wing and the Naval Weapons Station. Uh, I also bring you greetings from Bishop Derek Jones, the Bishop of the Jurisdiction of the Armed Forces and Chaplaincy in the Anglican Church in North America, uh, which is why I don't have business cards. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it's those two, under those two men's authority that I am able to be here today, and so I bring their greetings to you. I do have one caveat before I begin. I'm going to be speaking about some things out of my former tradition of being a Presbyterian, and uh, please understand that any pejoratives are my experience and not to be a blanket statement about our evangelical Presbyterian brethren, uh, in case there are any in the room and you still have things that you can throw at me. Uh, but it is a part of my journey and my journey towards the Anglican way. I begin with two readings of Scripture. First, from Paul's letter to Corinth, the first letter in chapter 10 and verse 16 and 17. The cup of blessing which we bless, 
Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one, for we all partake of the one bread. And in his second letter to the church at Corinth in chapter 12, verse 9, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Let us pray. Teach us, dear Lord, to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Satisfy us early in thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The title of today's talk with you is Participation in Pain, a Chaplain's Experience in America's Drone Program. On a hot June day in the Mojave Desert, I walked across the street to turn in my access badges at Creech Air Force Base. For three years, these badges were passports to another world, a world where fiber optics brought high-definition images into small air-conditioned ground control stations, a world where pink fingers touched red triggers, a world where an airman who a year ago was sneaking beer into senior prom was now steering Hellfire missiles into enemy positions 7,000 miles away. That world was about to be a part of my past, but for three years it had been my ever-waking present. And when I signed the last piece of paper and emerged from the security office, I quite literally felt death leave my body. Our units had innocuous names like the 42nd and 17th Reconnaissance Squadron giving little indication to the 5,100 enemy combatants that we killed just during my time in the wing. From 2014 to 2017, I served as the operations group chaplain for our nation's remotely piloted aircraft enterprise. What the press, and what I said in my title, and most people in the world called drones. We don't like that word. Drones are... Uh, semi-autonomous vehicles. We are remotely piloted aircraft people, uh, and there's a great deal of autonomy and security and fidelity within that system. But for the shorthand, we'll call them drones. As a chaplain in the 432nd Air Base Wing, it was my job to be a ministry of presence to our remote combat airmen. I stood with them as they tracked, hunted, and killed terrorists in Afghanistan and Iraq. If time permitted me, I could share in intimate detail what the daily life of these incredible warriors was like. Uh, they operate with the utmost professionalism and extraordinary integrity under the most stressful conditions. And to those who might disparage them due to their quote-unquote distance from the target, I would say that that person understands very little about the evolution, the evolution of fist, rock, stick, and gun. For it is, uh, there is one thing that I learned in remote warfare, and that is that proximity to killing has 
very little to do with how close one is to the butcher's trade. What I will take time to do is to speak about their pain. My pain, Christ's pain, and the participation that brings healing to us all. Their pain. The pain of a remote warrior is cloaked in secrecy. 70-year non-disclosure agreements are standard. We'd all be dead before we could tell anybody what we did. They carried the burden of knowing the worst, doing their best in the worst ways, and wishing it would all stop while also loving what they did. The paradox of their pain is staggering. There was a particular unit at Creech which was affectionately referred to as the dark side. Not because of any nefarious activity, but because it required various high-level clearances and involved several special access programs. It took about a year for me to gain access there, and when I entered the building for the first time, I saw a pilot that I knew from a previous assignment uh, that uh, I was his chaplain during pilot training. When our eyes met, he said, Chaplain, I heard you were here. I've been meaning to talk to you. I'm so glad that you've been read into our mission. And supposing that he needed to discuss something concerning the mission, we stepped into a briefing room to be alone. Chaplain, it's great to have you on the dark side. I got some stuff I got to get off my chest. There it was. I was going to be drawn into the most intimate details of this remote warrior and help him in his time of need about some kind of top secret mission. Chaplain, me and my wife just aren't getting along. Do you know any good marriage books? I thought my pilot friend would need me for the mission. Instead, what I found is that he needed me in the mission. He needed to know that I was assigned to the same pain he was. He needed to know that he could trust me. My pain. So that's what I did. I jumped into the assigned pain. In military language, I embraced the suck. Long hours of staring at buildings in the desert 7,000 miles away, waiting for my guys to get clearance to engage a target, watching our guys killing people and going to lunch, going back from lunch and watching guys kill more people. Days of watching a building or a road waiting on a father to finish playing soccer with his children and moving far enough away so that we could kill him. And having no pity in our hearts, because that man strapped bombs to mentally retarded children and marched them into markets and blew them up. I lived in their assigned pain. It became my pain. We participated in pain together. And that's how we lived for three years. Drive 50 miles to work, do the job. Drive 50 miles home and watch what we did last week on CNN and not talk about it. Then go back. I finally hit a breaking point, and it happened in worship. One Sunday, while trying to remain emotionally and intellectually present during a 45-minute sermon on antinomianism or lapsarianism or some such, I realized my brain was broken. I could not participate in worship any longer. I could not will myself through gnosis to receive. In short, 
within a religion of thinking, I could not think. C.S. Lewis in the book, The Problem of Pain, said, No doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. It may lead to final unrepented rebellion, but it gives the only opportunity the bad man can have for amendment. It removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. In 1998, I was a young Presbyterian preacher boy who by providence found his way to the School of Theology at Swanee. And I could tell you I didn't know how to spell Episcopalian when I showed up there. But through a series of events that are too detailed to share here, I was able to attend Swanee free of charge. I was an intellectual dwarf amongst very learned peers, the closest of whom now live and move and have their being here in the Low Country. It was at Swanee where I was introduced to the Anglican tradition of the sacramental life, the faith once delivered for all the saints, the balance of scripture, holy tradition, and reformed Catholic reason. At another time, in another place, we can talk about that journey, but for our time today, let's just say that a seed was deeply planted, a patristic seed, a particular presence, a passion for a parish and a people I did not yet know. After the terrorist attacks of September 11th and subsequent invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan, my wife and I felt called to care for men and women in the military. And Laura told me, as only a wife can, honey, you can join any branch of the military as long as it's the Air Force. (laughs) So we reported for duty in 2006. I served as a Presbyterian chaplain all those years, except I couldn't quite shake the habit of using Rite 2 Prayer A from the 79 Book of Common Prayer. If you're a fan of Narnia, it seems I couldn't shake Aslan, could I? (laughs) He kept showing up in every book. Fast forward back to our time at Creech Air Force Base, living in Las Vegas, driving 50 miles one way into the desert, one way back. I went on anxiety medication. I realized that It took two fingers of Jack Daniels to be uh, present with my family at dinner and that something was probably wrong. I was seeing a shrink, taking a nerve pill before staff meetings to control my mind, and then I couldn't be present at church. In 2016, on a Sunday morning at the Presbyterian Church in Las Vegas, I found I couldn't make sense of it all. I couldn't pray, I couldn't sing, I couldn't do church. I'm a preacher. I couldn't do church. All I knew was that my brain was broken and that the church tradition that I'd known my whole life didn't work with a broken brain. I looked at my wife and said, I need a brainless church. And we said, what about Anglicanism? (laughs) Now, the intellectual rigor of the Anglican tradition is second to none. Make no doubt about that. But the center of our tradition is not that rigor. Rather, our rigor emanates from the centrality of our tradition, namely the incarnate and resurrected Jesus Christ who lives out as we live out our faith once delivered and as we are disciplined in the liturgy. So, 
I had been keeping up with the newly formed Anglican Church in North America, and I remembered the deeply rich and meaningful liturgy of my seminary formation. Perhaps, maybe, God was calling us to do something that wasn't about me, or my brain, or what I bring to the table to those in need. Perhaps God was calling me to a table because I was needy. My wife held my hand as we walked out of the church that Sunday, and she comforted me. And she said, let's try the Anglican Church. The next week, we attended Good Shepherd Anglican in Henderson, Nevada, a parish from the Anglican Diocese of San Joaquin. Jesus the Good Shepherd struck quite a contrast to our long stint in the Presbyterian world. And suddenly, I was swept back into the arms of rich liturgy and the sacramental life. As the weeks and months went by, I began to heal. Early on in worship, I would simply receive the sacrament. As the reality of the incarnation worked in my life through the Anglican liturgy, I once again began to internalize the well-worn collects of morning prayer and evening prayer. No longer was I simply intellectually engaging the scripture, rather, I once again learned to hear them. Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. I emerged from a self-important, self-imposed sacrifice to a selfless, sacrificed Savior who offered the sacramental life. And I became ripe on the incarnate vine and primed for the harvest. Christ's pain. Though I faithfully flung myself into the suffering of my airmen and felt utterly righteous in to participate in their pain, I blindly disregarded my own pain and suffering. Even more astonishing and something it will, that I will always marvel in is that my eyes were opened to the news only when Christ invited me to participate in his pain and suffering. Not as some intellectual assent or some chummy recognition of similarities to my own suffering, but that Christ invited me to participate fully in the communion the fellowship, in the koinonia of his pain. It was this reality that brought me to the Anglican tradition, where I have now served as a priest since 2020. And it is from this place of healing, this place of wholeness, that I speak to you now. Dr. Hans Borsma, in his book, Heavenly Participation, writes... Because creation is sharing in the being of God, our connection with God is a participatory or real connection. Intellectually, I knew I had to suffer with my men. I knew they wouldn't trust me until I participated in their pain, but I was unprepared for the battle I entered. I intellectually knew on a much grander scale that equality with God was not something I could grasp, and he chose to suffer, to become sin, he who know no sin, that I might trust in him. But what I missed was that he offered so much more than the intellectual truth of his suffering. He offered participation through his eternal presence. Not just a temporary presence through a historical reality of his incarnation, but an eternal presence, a very and true and real connection a presence made known to us in the revealing of the scriptures and the breaking of the bread. You see, 
I entered into that darkness with only the knowledge of Christ, but not the sustenance of our Savior. St. Augustine of Hippo wrote, You are what you have received. When I cavalierly entered into the ministry of death, I became what I ate. I tried to fight that battle by eating death with my mind, and when my mind was broken, I found that I lacked the sustenance to stay in the fight. It was only when I received the bread of life, the Holy Eucharist, that healing took place and I entered into a battle with and alongside the Lord who beats back his enemies and puts them to everlasting shame. It was then that I realized my enemies were not those on the video screens, nor was it death itself, but powers and principalities, spiritual enemies. In other words, real enemies, more real than any reality we can imagine. I had only been playing at being a warrior. I had only dressed up for battle. Then I ate his flesh and drank his blood, and along with St. Augustine, I became what I received. Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. I saw as I had never seen. I prayed as I had never prayed. I walked with God in ways I only thought I had done before. And now I faced the real enemy with the real presence of Christ. And God had the enemy by the throat. Now hear me, men. I didn't take a magic pill. The Eucharist is not some incantation that I put on. What I'm talking about is a full and complete participation in the sacramental life. That is the submission to the Savior's command that unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood, there is no life in you. Because, as the Anglican Articles of Religion state, the body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten, in the supper, only after an heavenly and spiritual manner, and the mean whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. Therefore, brothers, since we do not struggle against flesh and blood of this mortal world, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of the age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness in the heavenly places, then how much more do we need the real, very, and truly present heavenly and spiritual body of Christ in faith. And so I stand before you as one who was brought from pain and death, participating in the temporal realm of suffering in this world, and it was from this that I was delivered to life in Christ through participation in His pain, through heavenly participation with our Lord and there. And there alone did I find rest and healing for my soul. Now, all of this is a preamble to the very fact that it is, it was only in the weakness, my weakness, as the apostle says, that these things were made known. For when I turned in my security badges, I surely felt death leave my body. But it was only through the eternal badge of security in the sacrament of Christ that death surely left my soul.
Thank you so much for the opportunity to spend time with you today. Amen. Zach, thank you so much for sharing from your heart with us. And there's much wisdom for us in that understanding that it is in our weakness that we can actually begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So much to think about and so appropriate just having come through Holy Week and Easter. Thank you. Uh, men, we will be back on our normal schedule. I want to congratulate all of you for realizing that we were on the second Wednesday and coming on the right day, even though we're usually on the first Wednesday. In May, we will be back on the first Wednesday right here uh, in this room. I do want to commend to you in the meantime uh, the week of uh, April 21st, I think that is, uh, will be the St. Philip's Tea Room in this room. Uh, it is a great place to volunteer. It is a great place to come to lunch. Uh, if you want to experience fellowship or serve in the Ministry of Hospitality, uh, we would love to have you. It's also a great place to uh, send your wife or your lady friend and her friends uh, to come enjoy lunch as well. So uh, with that, let us close with a blessing and a prayer. Please bow your heads. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Zach. We thank you for his ministry and for the ministry of all of the military chaplains who serve so selflessly around the world. Lord, we pray for your protection and your blessing on their ministry. And Lord, we pray that as we consider these words that Zach has shared with us today, that in our weakness, you would be made strong. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Amen.